0: beautiful light-filled souls. This is Trisha Barker. Thank you so much for your attendance at the second annual online near-death experience summit. If you missed it this Sunday, there will be a replay link to purchase through the university of heaven. And I will leave that link below. Also, thank you to everyone who has purchased my book either through audible or ebook or paperback. It means so much to hear from readers and to hear your journey with spirituality and with healing and with some of the issues that my book brings up in education and in other walks of life. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is a remake of some of my YouTube videos that I've uploaded to the podcast format because I know that many people do enjoy not using data and listening to podcasts, so it's great to connect with you, and may you be blessed. Hello, beautiful, light-filled souls. My name is Tricia Barker, and I'm here with Robert Kopecki. Uh, we are at the I Am's convention here in Bellevue. It's so much fun. It's such an amazing experience to hear so many people talking about their experiences in the afterlife. And Robert just published this book, which is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying. An important topic because so many people who come here to these conferences very much want to get the... Benefits of a near-death experience without the physical trauma without all the you know Intensity of going through death, so I love it that this is his account and and that he really gives a lot of wisdom to readers about how to incorporate these uh, Moments into their lives, so I'm just gonna this is a I have a selfie stick I'm going to just pass it over to him on occasion and ask a few questions and we'll just let this roll but Robert um, Tell me a little bit more about your book and why you wrote it and your hopes for it.
1: Sure, yeah. First of all, um, don't follow my example. <laughs> Just read the book. Because I'm a three-time near-death experiencer. And... Should I look at you or should I look at Oh, the at camera's fine, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a three-time near-death experiencer. And so I went through quite a bit of hardship to get to this point. But there are ways of aligning yourself to the sort of... Heavenly experiences that I had in my uh, near death experiences, and what most of us have in common these feelings of transcendent unity, of being enfolded in love, perceiving kind of divine radiance or illuminative radiance, the, um, karmic instruction, being open to guidance, and stuff like that. And these are things that are consistent with near death experiencers, but are also available to people who don't want to go to all the trouble. Of, of, in my case, I was in a car accident, had a drug overdose, and was beaten up by a bunch of skinheads, my least favorite that you know, experience. And so without having to go to all that trouble, there are means that we can enjoy and appreciate essentially what's available of heaven here. Everybody's had a little piece of heaven. We've all experienced a little piece of heaven. And so it's really owning it and expanding on it in this life.
0: And that's a concept that I'm hearing from a lot of near-death experiencers, and it's a concept that I am trying to embody too, is bringing that perfection of heaven and that beauty of heaven into life. So I was wondering if you might give us a few tips from your book.
1: Yeah, the, the, the theme of the book comes from, um, comes from this quote from the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic gospel, where Yeshua says, the kingdom of heaven is spread across the earth, but men don't have eyes to see it. Maybe gender specific, I think, it probably, I think it probably is. But you know what it means is that there's an extra dimensionality to life that if you are open to it, you can perceive. And it will change the context of your life. I think that the degree to which we live as material beings involved in all the stuff going on, and the degree to which we don't live in the context of spiritual, of our spirituality, to that degree is, that's how much we suffer, mm-hmm. you know. That's how much you open yourself to the difficulties of it. And when you associate more with this effervescent, diaphanous, spiritual being that is occupying the vessel of this body, unfortunately, you know, then the, the, the more uh, you can sort of disassociate yourself with a compassionate neutrality, and experience life in a, in a much easier way where you identify with one another as being the same.
0: And that's a beautiful concept. For those who are suffering or for someone who's going through something really difficult, how would you get them to slow down to really attach with that that spiritual part of themselves?
1: Well, I think it's important to, uh, and this is my second near-death experience, I was I, I went through what's called a life review. So I was suddenly in a brilliant cloud, and and I was not alone. I had somebody behind me, a benevolent spirit, so to speak, who directed me to look. And I saw this opening in this cloud where these kinds of boxes of time replayed parts of my life. And it was not the greatest hits. They were times I hadn't been present. And I got from that the lesson of presence. And that's probably the chief trick. I mean, I I talk about perspective, presence, and purpose. With presence, you know, you're always in this moment, and the quality with which you engage in this moment is the most important thing. How many times have you said to yourself, gee, I wish I'd been paying more attention (laughs) to that. And, And we have that opportunity in every moment to create a quality of life. You know, that's the cause and effect, what Buddhists call cause and effect. It's all happening in the eternal now, so to speak. So paying attention to right here and right now and who you're with, what you need to be doing, what people want you to do, what you need to do for the people you love in your life, what they expect of you. That's, that's your purpose. You know? And then the perspective part of it is, is being able to kind of disassociate from the difficult aspects of being a human and relate yourself to the context of being a spiritual being. That gives you that perspective on life. And in a nutshell, uh, those things combined make life a lot easier and more fun and more heavenly. Mm. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, I, I understand that that idea of so much pain was released from me the minute I saw my body from afar. Like, so just that mm. one piece of the near-death experience is profoundly healing because we're no longer connected to that body, this body, you know, everything so that we're starting to the genie
1: back in the body. Yes,
0: it is, it is. So what, um, meditation helps? I mean, is that something you talk about in your book too? Because it gets me out of the consciousness of like thinking about my body and thinking about myself. Is that one of your...
1: Well, to uh, to approximate that uh, that actual experience because, you know, that's an unusual experience for most people to see yourself from outside. You can never go back really in quite the same way. But I like to lead people on kind of guided meditations where you use your imagination. And you say, okay, I'm not this, you know, be it as it may, I'm not this body, I'm not this guy right now. I'm something with inside of that. I'm I'm this diaphanous effervescent light energy being. And I'm going to remove myself from that and lift up and look at the scene underneath me like I'm on the ceiling. And I'm going to imagine that. I'm gonna move around the room and see that scene from different angles, different perspectives and then when I go to meet with people later I'm going to do that a little bit again and see how people's spirits channel through them and their forms of expression and what it is to be a human on the ground trying to figure things out. Everybody's going through the same thing. Everybody's having the same struggles. And then when I reoccupy my body so to speak I have that perspective that gives me that kind of compassionate neutrality and, Complete identification with others, you know? So, its imagination has a lot to do with it.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that a lot of times, um, some people are more right-brained than left-brained. And I feel lucky being a person who's right-brained because I was more open to the idea of continuing to connect with my angels after my near death experience, to continue to connect with this other side. Um, was there one of your near-death experiences, or was it all three, where you felt like you still had this open communication so with I the other side? Where I destroyed others? my <laughs> left brain? <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Actually, in, I mean, to be specific about it, I did break out the windshield of a car uh, with my head, with the left side of my head. Wow. And I was hit uh, by skinheads. I was riding a bicycle and they drove up behind me and they hit me with a crowbar in the back of the head. Wow. And I went head first into the curb and split open the, the left side of my head again. Wow. So in two of my times, I really did suffer extreme head trauma, if you can't tell. <laughs> no, not at all. So I don't know if maybe that didn't have something to do with that sort of liberating the very appropriately named... Right brain, right. Because um, I think that ever since those times, I've, I've had more of a parallel processor going than a serial processor. So to speak. you know, I'm not, I'm not a big lister, or I don't take a lot of inventories and notes and figure out how things need to go. That doesn't happen to me so much. I'm more of a just letting it flow like it is. You know? <laughs> yes. and that's kind of the difference in experience, life experience between the two.
0: Right, and I've noticed, I don't know if you feel this way, but I've talked with more people here at this conference about staying so in the moment that they're just open to divine guidance at all times. Do you feel like you're in that space where you're just living with divine guidance?
1: Yes, I do, yeah, and I think I kind of got kicked into that space in many ways, which I don't recommend. However, the most, uh, the most powerful connections I've had in that sense have come through meditation. That really is the time when I have opened up to intuitive intelligence the most when I escape or am able to Come into some kind of control with my thinking the the mind the ego mind. That's always running a commentary When I can push that aside and say I don't even want to think about that That's what I'm talking about you push that aside, and then you occupy the empty space wherever that is And when you're in that stillness you can start to get this intuitive intelligence coming in, and I know it's it's not me because it, it's much smarter than I am But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I can I develop a faith in it because when I practice, practice that, when I exercise through meditation, opening that channel, I realize it's really there and it really is smarter than me, and I really can rely on it. And then I hear Bad
0: Bob over here. <laughs> it's like I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> I I love what you said about um, It's so much smarter than you are that divine intelligence That was the first thing that I felt when I came back to my body I was so pissed that I was like yes, I remember her name her body I have to be in this form and experience this life and I knew that I was so much smarter out there I was connected to vast downloads of intelligence, I mean God, you know, like there was God out there in that realm and it was so boring to come back to me, but learning to access that healing, learning to access that knowledge, learning to access that, um, yeah. I think is what a lot of people go through. Did you have a process of learning to access these things?
1: Yeah, I can't feel too sorry for you, because imagine having to come back into this, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> but, um, yes, and it wasn't easy, you know, I... I I had near-death experiences during over about 15 years of my life, and it still took me like 10 years to get to the place where I was able to understand what they meant. And that was not an easy 10 years. There was a lot of um, struggle and difficulty, and I passed through what you'd call the, the dark night of the soul sort of thing, where just nothing worked at all. I wanted to commit suicide. I wanted to kill the part of myself that didn't work. So, in order to get to heaven, there is a kind of death necessary. You do gotta die to go to heaven. You have to kill the part of yourself that's not working very well. Yeah. And that takes time, it takes a while. You have to uh, open yourself up to sharing with people who've had experiences like you, who have suffered through hardship like you. Uh, you find a community, you know, it's like, the, it's like Buddhism. You find the Buddha, some kind of higher power or a source of devotion, you find the the Dhamma or the path, the rules, the principles. I say that it's um, that it's kindness, humility, honesty, forgiveness, compassion and service. Yes. And then you find the Sangha or the fellowship, the group of people. And through those things you'll be able to come to that kind of opening that kind of extra dimensional relationship to, to life that recontextualizes your life into a much more comfortable, easy heavenly kind of existence.
0: So I'm gonna be like a lot of the people who are interested in your third near death experience and I do wanna I do wanna hear a little bit more about that one. Um, mainly because I think we're living in kind of chaotic times and there's a lot of uh, hatred of people between groups and I was wondering if you had any information about Piece and how we get along and you know especially after being the victim of a violent crime um, in that sense yeah. but if you could just tell me a little bit about your experience and then uh,
1: the, the way that I tend to think of it or that I find an appropriate metaphor is to say that, that this is like a grade school with grades one through six going to, to at the school together at the same time and it's usually the first graders or the second graders and particularly the big bullies kids and they're not very conscious and they want things like they want them and they bully people and like that. The sixth graders, meanwhile, get to go to school with them at the same time. They cannot pass on directly the wisdom that will make the bullies stop being bullies. They have to witness the bullies with compassion and then bring enough love and wisdom to the world, to the school, as they can to balance it out and to make sure that we all understand that love is what really binds us all together. You recognize where there's love and where there's not love. Certain people beam it, they're putting it out there. It comes through architecture, it comes through food, it comes through flowers, it comes through pets, it comes through certain people, it doesn't come through other people. They are blocked, there are obstacles, then you have to bring it, you have to bring it to them. And that's the way that we have to deal with it, with this kind of neutral compassion. Mm.
0: Beautifully said, in the afterlife, I saw um, souls as covered with darkness or fear. And I saw that you know my mission was to help those souls reconnect with the light. So um, do you have bits or do you have bits of wisdom about like reaching into those dark places? And
1: um, yeah, I think uh, in, in the book I recommend, looking at people with what i call angel eyes which means that you completely arrest your labeling usually we see somebody and you think okay this is a six foot two inch guy who looks like he's from the east coast and he may be of a certain ethnic background and he's dressed like a lawyer and we label 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 if you don't do that at all if you arrest that completely and push it aside and just open yourself up to experiencing the person, then you can start to see the the Divine Consciousness flowing through the filter of that particular person, their experiences, their needs, their desires, wants, and you recognize that they are expressing who they need to express. And when you open your heart like that and you witness it, sometimes, sometimes you'll see them as a child suddenly, like they were a little, then you'll see them as an older person, much older person than they are, and then they kind of shake back into focus and you recognize that you think maybe they came from a small town or that maybe they had trouble with their mother or and a lot of those kinds of intuitive things that come to you are accurate they end up being accurate so if you just open yourself up energetically that way and experience the other person as a reflection of yourself who needs to channel divine consciousness through their own particular filter the information that they are, that I am, that you are, then we recognize what we all have in common, that we are all the same person expressing ourselves through different forms. Hmm. You know?
0: So, I have another question about that third near-death experience, though. So what did you see and experience out of form, so what did you learn in that last near-death experience? Yeah, that's
1: the, that's the one that I call the gift of purpose, uh, because it was pretty, um, it was pretty, <laughs> explicit in that regard. It was my least favorite near-death experience of the three, if one must make such distinctions, (laughs) because I was really badly beaten and stuff. And also because in the first one I was out of my body and then I kind of went to a pastoral place and had an indistinct kind of interview like, like we're doing right now. In the second one I was in the celestial cloud where I was shown these scenes, these boxes of time. They were always in boxes of time. And the third one, I was in kind of a womb-like place. It was almost like, like like being underground. I still felt wrapped in love and transcendently connected, the feelings I had in the first two. Um, but I, I didn't want to go back to the, it was like something terrible was going on in the other room, you know, <laughs> out there. And they were telling me, you haven't done this right. You're not supposed to be here right now, you've got to go back. You've got to go back and you've got to be who you're supposed to be. You have to do what you're supposed to do. So, as I remember it, I was kind of like picked up and
0: pushed out of this
1: womb-like, and it was womb-like, so it was like, here's your rebirth, okay? Yeah, and that's, that's I, I opened tough. my eyes and there was an emergency medical worker guy over me who, who said, he's back! Wow.
0: That's really tough. Like, do you feel, though, like those messages a lot of times um, have many layers? Do you feel like there was more that was communicated to you about what you need to do?
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's information, you know, I mean, we're talking about a pretty elaborate spiritual technology that's alive underneath the surface of this being, you know. It's a universal energy system, the matrix of. Profound Illuminative intelligence. But I think that I got a lot of information at a lot of different levels at that yeah. point. But the way the, the, the come away, the takeaway from it was that I had always kind of imagined myself as being the movie star in sort of a blockbuster or a James Bond movie or something like that my ego created. And I discovered that, that the movie of my life is really more like kind of a, an intimate indie. <laughs> sort of low budget <laughs> but it really finds a certain audience and it speaks to a certain different definition of success that has to do with me being as authentically who I'm supposed to be what do I what do I love about life where what is my passions what are my passions what do I do well you know I'm an artist and so I followed that um, what do people like you to do what do people want you to do what do the people in your life need you to do for them? And this gives you your purpose. It's right there in front of you. And So that was that was the ultimate takeaway from
0: that. I love what you said about the movie idea. I wonder how many people up there also have that experience, you know, with their own lives, like oh when i get here when i write this book when i do this when i get like then it's going to be wonderful and yet really what life is about it's about these little moments that, that we have with people we love with people we connect with who are in pain and it really is like you said a much more intimate thing like your book may help someone from committing suicide your book and that that might be one of its biggest purposes is someone across the world is holding this book and you know, this video might reach someone who was just really down. And they watch it and if one person got something yeah. from it, then it's worth it, you know, and we, we think it's going to be grand and yes. it's really so yeah. intimate.
1: And there aren't that many movie stars, really, <laughs> yeah, right? with seven billion people. <laughs> it may be just as uh, simple as, you know, showing up for your parents when they're aged. Yeah. Holding somebody's hand, holding a friend's hand when they're in a moment of need. Yeah. And it ends up coming back to the, the that last principle that I like to use to align us to heaven. And that's service. You know, when I, whenever I'm thinking about I, when I start the sentence with I, I'm in trouble already. You know? Um, but when I'm thinking about others, then I'm actually addressing my own problems when I'm helping other people.
0: And one of the most amazing things that I've learned is that some of the people who have great wealth or great accomplishments, sometimes are not directing that energy to help others. And they're not as happy as someone, as a social worker, teacher, or someone who every day stands up and gives. I mean, they might not be as happy when they get home and look at their small apartment, (laughs) but at work, they're very happy you know, with what they're doing. And that flow of energy, that service, it's something that I've noticed in the classroom, students benefit from it too. So Mm -hmm. when they are taught service, they get out of their pain. It's the quickest way to get out of your pain. Absolutely,
1: yeah. There's a, there's a story that I tell in the book that's uh, about this very thing where when I first started kind of undergoing this spiritual transformation and started getting the messy parts of my life out of the way and getting back in contact with, with my authentic self, so to speak, I went to a, a retreat that's run by a Catholic, the Catholic Church and there were a, a group of nuns they weren't in the whole habits and stuff, but they were taking care of us. They were making our beds and cooking us meals and stuff. They facilitated the weekend event, the, this seminar, this retreat. And I, when I first saw those ladies, I thought, oh, those poor women, they're hiding out from the real world, you know. they they found a place to step out of the demands and the, all that stuff, you know. Poor souls, uh, well, good for them. I had that kind of thing. Going on. And a few years later after a lot of service myself and a lot of meditation and a lot of healing, I went back to the same retreat. And the same women were there. And I walked in and they looked at me like, "Oh. You again." You know? And I watched them at work cooking for us and making everything perfect for us to have this experience together. And I realized, what a fabulous way to live these women had found and what an indescribable blessing just to know exactly what you're doing every day is to serve others unconditionally selflessly it's a beautiful beautiful thing and i realized how wrong i had been and how grateful i was for this transformation that allowed me to see that that selfless service the unconditionality the non-transactional part of life, how important that is.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I was in South Korea for a year, and one day I was at a temple, and I just, I love to meditate in those temples. This is after my near-death experience, and I saw some nuns, some Buddhist nuns, who were cooking, and they they included me in their their cooking one evening. And it was such a profound gift, just to not talk, and to be there with them, and then to partake of the food just the mere act of being there with people was somehow healing for me right. it, it got my mind out of the clutter of my life and yes. you know, into that task and, and I wonder if that's
1: maybe what you observed well yeah yeah and that's a big part of, of how to get to heaven without really dying and mm-hmm. that the idea that heaven is here already and that we're experiencing it is that when we can bring an open-hearted quality to each moment that we live in it's here right now we're having it between us right now and hopefully with everybody who's out there too it's in it's life in a different context it's a different definition of success it's not based on the fleeting material things that come and go the you know the the titles and the possessions and even the relationships at time you know that we just move past, they're always shifting. Um I love uh, certain Hindu ideas like everything that changes isn't real. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, except for when you're stuck in traffic and then you're gonna be late, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's it's really just a, um it's a it's a state of being that's heavenly and it's available to us all the time. It's always there if we engage in it this way.
0: An open hearted approach. Yeah, interesting. I wonder so, we're at the ions convention, which is focused on after effects. And I wonder if there's something that you noticed after your first near death experience. It's where you're like, I am profoundly different, you know, I was this person before and after, there was a, a
1: marker. So that's really interesting to me because uh, after the first one, I was probably most caught up in ambition and in material life. I lived in Los Angeles with my first wife at the time, real busy all the time. And it, it happened, and uh, I experienced, I was a, it was a solo car crash, it was just me. And so I tried to talk to people about it a little bit, but, you know, they kind of go into that, that, like, I think my favorite TV show is on. And I discovered that I really didn't have, I I didn't know there was any kind of community or anything, and so I didn't have any way to gauge what that effect really was, except for what was sort of spontaneously happening in me. It was more, like I said, tough to get the genie back in the bottle. It was more difficult for me to really engage in all that razzle-dazzle that I'd been so involved with. I still had to do it, and it was particularly aggravating because I didn't have any outlet for it, anybody to share it with, any of that kind of stuff. Looking back on it, of course, I now see that I was doing these, all these jobs, and then I stopped doing most of those jobs and I talked my wife into traveling around the world for a year and we quit our jobs and went off around the around the world visiting a bunch of spiritual places even though we weren't spiritual. You know, yeah. we weren't spiritual. And so it's quite clear that it had this huge effect on me. Yeah. But being in it at that moment, I felt kind of trapped in an inability to express what I was experiencing.
0: How old were you when you had that?
1: about 25,
0: 25. Or 26
1: oh, yeah. so still young but yeah. still in that in your career yeah yes yeah yeah huh. and um, and then when we got back after this lengthy trip our marriage started falling apart uh, my aunt who had taken care of me a lot when I was a child I was called to her bedside when she died So I had kind of what's called a shared death experience with her, kind of witnessing. And I couldn't really say, hey, you guys, I think that her spirit's leaving her body, right? Because nobody I was with was on that page. Right. Um, And so I uh, had to just deal with that on my own, too. It really wasn't until many years later when I had these experiences kind of coalesce or crystallize in me through meditation and through service and through study and through meeting people like you and the people here at IONS, discovering my community, that I was really able to to kind of bring that into a full adjustment.
0: And you bring up a great point because I think that near-death experiencers benefit from early on talking to other near-death experiencers. And, like, I didn't even know that I had certain gifts until I saw someone doing that. And then I was right. like, oh, okay, yeah, do that. You know, like, right. that's something I do. And then then it's affirmed. So um, I think that's a big part of this yeah. is uh, community. And so I always encourage people who've had a spiritual awakening or a near-death experience, find IAMs, find the ISGO groups, find yeah. people in your community who are spiritual to yeah. talk with. Yeah,
1: the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, you yeah. know? The, the power higher than me, something's greater than me, that's for sure, you know? Right. And here are the means, there are the principles that I can live on to kind of realize that in my life. And here's my community here's a fellowship where I can recognize that we're all the same soul in so many ways you know?
0: yeah. Yeah. so I think too near-death experiencers benefit from going to spiritual events because I know that early on I found like a meditation group called the home and I had just these amazing meditations you know in groups because right. that- That power of being together is very informing, I think. And you're very open after a near-death experience.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you're cracked open. You're broken open (laughs) to the light, so to speak. But it's interesting you're talking about confirmation, about having these things confirmed to you. And for skeptics out there, uh, which I understand because I was one myself for a very, very long time, um, first of all, we are on a planet in outer space, all right? So... (laughs) That's pretty peculiar to start with, and fairly magical and amazing. Anything after that is sort of gravy. Yeah. But also, there's a there's a mountain of evidence of all of this stuff. And when you come to something like like uh, like Ions, like an Ions conference, or many other spiritual conferences and collections around the country, uh, you'll find that there it's almost better documented than anything else because it's suppressed, fearfully suppressed the mainstream who's afraid of empowering people too much they want to control them and they want them to live in fear so that they'll buy a new car and you know get this particular outfit or shaving cream were you <laughs> in
0: advertising
1: i have been in advertising uh, i have worked in in, uh, in design commercial art and uh, um, my, my last stuff, the stuff that I'm still doing, is animation design, but I was doing cartoon shows and stuff like you know, that for a while. And even the decisions that go into that are advertising-driven.
0: Interesting. I have this theory, and you can tell me if I'm correct or not, but I think all of advertising is to make you feel bad about yourself, so you'll buy something. So well, that's, that's not a theory. Is. That is the basis of it.
1: That's what major schools are based on. Wow. I have, I've been in rooms with people making decisions, to suppress certain empowering ideas Aww. because it's not putting people in the place we want them to be.
0: It's so sad.
1: It is, it's tragic.
0: That's why YouTube that's videos first like gray. this. Yeah. <laughs> that's why YouTube videos like this are like here to say, you're okay, you can experience heaven, you don't have to buy anything, it's free.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. It's a, and that's a good point to make. It doesn't cost a thing. It really doesn't cost a thing. You can go to your favorite park, a place that's quiet, a place that's by a little running water, and sit and still your mind for a second. You'll have this like action going on that's grinding and and babbling and just kind of you know what? Turn it off for a minute. I'm going to sit in the stillness of this and recognize the miracle that's in every instant of sitting by this brook, by this water, and the remarkable potential that's alive in this world. And that I can enter this box of time and I can do things, I can draw this, or I can make that call, or I can talk to that person. It's malleable, you know, it's plastic, and and you can take part in it in a way that's entirely different and entirely empowering, and you don't need to spend a nickel to do it.
0: Isn't that amazing? And I have a quick question, because I get this question a lot on YouTube and from other people. And I've noticed it in some of your blog posts, it may be in your book, but do you talk about taking care of the body eating well, um, really that being a component of experiencing more heaven on earth? Yeah,
1: well you, you'll, you'll get with some people around here where they're talking about physics and that everything is just energy. And you know, Einstein said that, uh, that matter is energy at a certain frequency, basically, you know? And so the way that you eat, the way that you treat yourself and you treat others is all energetic. It's all energy. So, naturally, it kind of goes without saying that you want to eat food that has good energy. I found, uh, after all this happened to me, that I, I could do no harm, literally, I, So I can't eat things that are killed. Now, if I were a Native American and I was living in this kind of divine balance with these animals around me and I had this spiritual agreement with them and when I killed them I would have a ritual and I would celebrate them and thank them and I'd use all of them and I'd have parties where we dressed up like them and danced around the fire and brought these things, these elements into balance then I would eat meat again but when I go into a supermarket and I'm standing by the packaged food section, you know, the chip aisle or something, it is so delicious. I can you know, I gotta get those, those veggie straws. Yeah. They're not even like eating anything. But so good. I can do a bag. But you know that that stuff's not good for you. You can sense the energy from it. Walk around the outside of a supermarket. You walk by the meat. It's all wrapped up in plastic. You don't even want to know what's going on back there. Don't uh, don't tell me. That. Then you go by the vegetables and it kind of lightens up. It feels a little bit better. It's You know, things are not so bad there. And you get in the organic section and even if you're imagining it, you're like, ah, okay. Oh, it smells better. I can breathe. The air is better. Not. It is telling you. It's the amount of love that is displaying, that's demonstrating itself. It's issuing out of the forms you see. Now go down the chip aisle and it's like, you know. I'll just get the bag of jalapeno chips and something. like that.
0: And I always tell people, it's like, you can move towards greater health. Like I always say, add more fruits and vegetables, add more of that. And it's funny, you know, like, I'm not perfect, you know, in in any of this practice. Um, But right after my near-death experience, when my my body was healing, I was 100% vegan. And I know that Mm -hmm. that had something to do with my greater healing, because my body wasn't um, worrying about anything. You know, it was focusing mostly on the health.
1: But that it's, it's, you know, the typical challenge of being in this particular form, of yes. being a human being, is that you'll find yourself saying, you know, that's really good for me. I don't know why I don't do that more often. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meditation, particularly for me, because I know that if I meditate every day, that the whole day goes back. Yeah. And yet I've kind of got it to a place where, because I'm very, very busy, my life is very full, gratefully so, I'm thinking, okay, four or five hours a week, or maybe three hours a week. If I can do that, I'll be okay, right? But you have to just allow yourself, realize that you're doing yourself a huge favor by treating yourself right, and by following that intuitive intelligence that demonstrates to you where the good energy is in your life. You know, it's not in a can of Red Bull, but it might be in a glass of apple juice. Yeah,
0: yeah. Something is kind of a no-brainer. Right? Yeah. And following that energy is important, so. Yeah. Well, one last thing, um, if you could sum up some main ideas from your near-death experiences. So now, these many years later, like, what do you think is the most important crystallized information from your experiences?
1: You know, I kind of broke it down in in How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying into three sections. My first near-death experience gave me the gift of perspective, where if you can imagine yourself as just a passenger, not a prisoner, and witness that in everybody else with that kind of generosity and compassionate neutrality, you don't really have a horse in the race so much, there's no competition in heaven, right? Um, and then uh, the second one, I had this gift of presence, so if you have awareness in the moment, conscious awareness in each moment, paying attention, there's miracles, there's love, you're making your karma, all in that moment. And then the the third one was is purpose, and these are three sections in the book where I elaborate on all kinds of stuff, uh, but the, the purpose is life is showing you all the time through what your passions are, what your responsibilities are, what you're good at. It doesn't have to be a huge grand thing because it is already, it's a huge grand thing just like you are. You're a huge grand thing.
0: Mm-hmm. love that. Look for the love. Yes. Yes. Well, wonderful point, points. and if you missed the first part of this, uh, Robert's book is, how to get to heaven without really dying. That's the key part. Blue so
1: Llewellyn Publishers.
0: Oh, from Llewellyn Publishers. So I am really glad that I got a chance to talk with them, and I hope to have more interviews for you later today and tomorrow. But thank you so very much, and may you be blessed.